Hey church family, welcome to Shelby Christian. So glad that you decided to come and worship with us today. Hey, we want to let you know about a few announcements. First, if you're new and visiting, we want you to know about our I'm New wall right outside in the lobby. Stop by and see us. We want to get connected with you and help you answer any questions that you may have. And we have a special gift for you as well. Secondly, we have our Rock the Hill event starting Saturday, August the 5th at 4 p.m. We're going to have tons of games, food, a picnic, and then after that we're going to have an awesome time of worship. So make sure you're there for that. If you're someone who is interested in going to Guatemala for a mission trip, this fall Matt Krebs will be taking a group with him. So if you're interested, see Matt Krebs or email him at mkrebs at shelbychristian.org. And we can't forget about last week's baptism. Man, Jim Forrest was baptized by his son, and what a powerful story that was. Let's continue to give God praise for what he's doing here at Shelby Christian. You saw us in the water with our son um, a couple weeks ago. Um, first, we're doing Richard Souders, and he and my husband have been um, co-workers and best friends for years, and in the past year, um, this family has become part of our family. My kids call him Funkle, because they say he's more fun than us. But um, Souders has been, was baptized as a believer years ago, um, but he is a veteran and has been through a lot, and like many of our service people, there's been a lot of reasons to have some distance from God in the past, and we have never seen anyone work as hard towards healing as he's done in the past year, and he wanted to get, rededicate his life and do baptism as an example to his daughters and um, the way that they want their family to go, so. All right, repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. I believe that he's my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that he's my personal Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. And I accept him as my personal Lord and Savior. Based off your public profession of faith, it is my honor to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Buried with Christ in baptism. We're not done. And this is an extra special day, too, because his oldest daughter, Poetry, um, is got saved at Camp Calvary uh, this summer, and she wanted her dad to baptize her, and so they decided to do this together because he wanted to go first. Um, so he's taking this step as spiritual leader and now baptizing her. Repeat after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I accept him into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. I accept him into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. You ready? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> ready? Here we go. voted 
they have declared independence from Great Britain. And that night by candlelight, John Adams writes an emotional letter to his beloved Abigail. Speaking of Independence Day, he writes, This day will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I'm apt to believe it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the Great Anniversary Festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this declaration. Yet, through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see that the end is more than worth all the means. But I must submit all my hopes and fears to an overruling providence in which, unfashionable as the faith may be, I firmly believe. May we never forget that we are a people who have been delivered. From tyranny to liberty, from oppression to freedom, from fear to courage. And today, above all days, may we renew our personal devotion to the giver of all liberty. Amen, and may we never take our freedom for granted. Amen. So happy Independence Week, and as you stand, we wanted to sing this song that I know you know. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesty above the fruited plains. America, America, God shed His grace on thee. Shining sea. Come on, let's remember our God this morning. For what He's done in our lives. Remember those walls that we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But he came, and he died, and he rose. Those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we call death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way. But he came. And he died, and he rose. Those giants are dead now. Yeah. This is our God. This is who He is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what He does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim. This is our God. King Jesus 
remember that fear that took our breath away The faith so weak that we could barely pray But he heard every whisper, every whisper Now those altars in the wilderness Tell the story of his faithfulness Never once did he fail at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God 
for his greatness and what he's done. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, church. It's good to be here on this uh, Independence Day weekend. As on a lot of you are off all weekend, probably till Wednesday. That's awesome. Um, most of you don't know about me. I went to college as a government major. Uh, that means I like political science, but a little bit different. My intention was, when I got out of college, was to go to law school and become a politician. My mother always said I needed to be a politician or a preacher, so she was right. 
But one of the things I learned and was instilled in me in college was that the founding fathers weren't all deists. The deist basically believes that you set the, God set the world in motion and then he stepped back and doesn't do anything else. But if you read what the founding fathers wrote in their personal journals and so on, you would see that they weren't all deists. A lot of them were greatly committed to Jesus Christ. And I think one of the most profound ones was George Washington. He wrote these words. While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. I believe our founding fathers began this nation on the idea that God was who gave us our inalienable rights. It was God who gave us the freedom in order to worship and to be able to do all the things. And this country's bedrock was on Christianity. And on July 4th, most of us will get together with family and friends. We'll eat a big meal. We may set off fireworks and we rejoice. But isn't that what we're supposed to do for communion? We gather together just like we do on July 4th. We break bread just like we do on July 4th. And we celebrate Jesus Christ like we celebrate July 4th. This morning as we go to take communion, we have communion stations all over along with our offering boxes there. I want you to reflect this morning on the fact that we can rejoice in our Savior as we take time for communion this morning. Remember your independence. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you this morning. Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just fill this room. Father God, that you would continue to anoint the worship team and Jason as he brings our message this morning. And Father, may we never forget that our independence in this country came ultimately from you. And most of all, that we have freedom, not just to religion, not just to free press and all those things, but we have freedom from sin because of what your son did for us. So, Father, as we take communion this morning, may we be reminded of our ultimate independence, our independence from sin. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
of that, just that simple gospel presentation God had been working in these kids' lives, obviously for years, and just the opportunity to say, here's who Jesus is, here's what he offers, who wants to come along for the journey. 30 students, and then there's um, there's one you, you may see in a second, there's a, uh, an adult man who's wearing a um, red shirt, t-shirt, he's actually the cook at the school, and uh, he heard the presentation and saw the kids talking about uh, giving themselves to Jesus, and he decided to do that uh, as well as an adult man. So uh, we just uh, we just wanted you guys to see some of those pictures, some of those images, and kind of know uh, what exactly happens when we say, hey, we want to be a church that sends, that goes and tells the great message about who Jesus is and how much he loves us and what he does all over the world. And so this is just a few of those faces and a few of those stories. That, that's him. Uh, two, two weeks ago, it's kind of all running together now. Two or three weeks ago, we went uh, on a trip to Poland, six of us. And that Sunday, we saw 18 people uh, that weekend give themselves to the Lord. They were doing it. They had an outside service that day. They have three campuses in, on three different cities in Poland. And so they all came together at their camp, and it was outside. It was a beautiful day, beautiful Sunday day. And so we did this big outdoor service. 18 folks came forward and gave themselves to the Lord. They were doing some of them in little uh, little little tubs there at the, on stage. And then we went to the river and got to see a bunch of folks uh, give themselves to Jesus that day. So just incredible stuff that's going on. Some of those uh, baptisms happening in Guatemala this spring, and, and it's just incredible to see. I think after today, with the two that we had this morning, we had another baptism Thursday night. Uh, we're close to 60 here at Shelby Christian uh, just in half the year, right? So yeah, so God continues to just do incredible things uh, uh, through, uh, through um, just us simply telling that story. It's about him, right? It's about the story that God tells. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I, I love movies. Uh, I love movies that have surprise endings, right? Not necessarily scary movies, but because I'm not into that, but like surprise, like if you walk out of a movie theater or you, you, you watch a movie, turn it off and you go, wow, I didn't see that coming. Right, I love that kind of a like ending, that kind of a uh, of a the wrapping up of a movie. Those, those are the ones I really enjoy. There's a guy; um, he's been a, a famous director for several years now. Uh, gosh, for almost I guess almost thirty years now. M. Night Shyamalan. He he tells a lot of really cool stories. Um, that some of them are scary. Some of them just kind of make you think. Some of them go awe. Some of them are shocking. Some of them have those surprise endings. There's a movie that came out almost 25 years ago. It was called, it's called The Sixth Sense. And I, I went and saw this movie in the theater. It was one of those movies where you go in the movie theater, you watch it, you come out and you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. The basic premise of this movie is there's this little boy um, who, uh, and this is not, I'm not endorsing the theology of this, okay? But there's a little boy who sees ghosts. And um, he, 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 sees, he sees these ghosts. And so it's like the trauma of all that. And, and Bruce Willis plays a psychologist and tries to come and help the little boy in the movie. And so there's all these interactions between the little boy and Bruce Willis throughout the movie where, they, where Bruce is coming in and, and sitting in his apartment, like walking with him in the park, doing all these things to try to help this little boy. And you get to the end, and there's this one famous scene that says uh, where uh, the little boy says, I see dead people, right? And it's kind of like, if you, if you heard that little phrase before it comes from this movie. And... Um, and so this is the spoiler alert for the movie. I mean, it's been out for 25 years, so you've had a chance to see it, okay? So spoiler alert. Um, but in the, in the end of the movie, Bruce Willis ends up being a ghost. He's dead the whole time. 
And you, and you, and you, and you go like, how is that possible? And like this, it's this incredible storytelling, right? It's this incredible movie making that M. Night Shyamalan does that where he says, he, and then you go back and then they flash back to scenes in the movie where it seems like Bruce Willis is interacting with other characters in the movie, but they're like, oh, I guess he really wasn't. And it's like, he was dead the whole time. I think I went around for six months after I saw that movie going, he was dead the whole time. He was dead the whole time. It's an incredible story. And, and, and so humans can come up with great stories. We, we, can, we can make up great stories. Authors and movie directors and writers, they tell great stories. But the story that Jesus tells, the story that God tells in the Bible is the greatest story of all time. I love this quote from Jared Wilson. Look at this quote. It says, God is the greatest storyteller ever. Our most brilliant, most captivating, most spellbinding authors have nothing on him. All good stories are but pale reflections and imitations of the great story of God's glory brought to bear in the world. How was God's glory brought to bear in the world? It was brought to bear in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at the Bible, what we understand is that it's a collection of stories right? There are all these little stories throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. It, the, the Bible is a book of, of books. It's a book of letters, right? It's a book of prophecies. It's a book of poetry. It's, it's, it's a book of, of all kinds of, of history. And, and it's all these stories that are compiled to tell the greatest story ever told. And so what we learn about our God when we study scripture, when we study the Bible as a whole, is that we know that our God loves to tell great stories. He, he tells the greatest stories of all time. They're, they're true stories, but he loves to tell a great story. And so then we come to this series where we're looking at a, a storytelling God, a storytelling Messiah, a storytelling Jesus who comes in the New Testament and continues the tradition of a God who tells great stories. And so in Jesus's day, in his ministry, he would tell stories. Sometimes they were true stories. He would take true things, true characteristics, tr people that were, were really experiencing things, and he would, he would tell stories. Sometimes he would make up a story. He would use what the Bible calls a parable. And so what we're looking at in this series is the fact that, that Jesus told some pretty incredible parables. Some of them were, were scandalous some of them didn't make sense. Some of them would make people scratch their heads. Some of them would make people walk away. But Jesus would always tell stories. He, he, he was telling stories of a God who wanted to reveal something to us. And, and what, is, what does God want to reveal to us? Well, God wants to reveal his story about how it was all created, right? We read in the very beginning, in the beginning, God. So this God, this, this being, this supreme holy being that decides to create a world. And, and to create dirt and trees and animals and humans, blood and flesh and brain and muscle, right? He, he creates humans. And, and he says, and, and this is for, for all of us who have ever wondered, why am I here? Why do I exist? What's the purpose of life? God, why'd you create me? Here it is. You guys ready? Because you can go on and do all kinds of really good things with your life. And you can have a great career and you can raise a great family and you can do wonderful stuff and you can go on great mission trips and you can do all these things in the world. But here it is. 
in a nutshell, what God says. He says, I'm going to create humans. I'm going to create man and woman so that they will glorify me, that they will worship me. I want to, I'm going to create them so that I can be in relationship with them and enjoy a relationship with them. And that's the story. That, that's as, as complex as it really is. God says, I'm going to create you for my glory. I want you to notice, to stop. God is a jealous God. God is the center of the story. God is the hero of the story. God is at the, in the middle. He's at the heart of all of this. And he says, you will get to play a part in this, but you're kind of just, in the grand scheme of things, you're just extras. And that kind of hurts the ego a little bit for us to realize well, we're just kind of extras in this big story. But we're, we're extras. And Jesus says, I'm going to create you, but here's what I, I, I want from you. God says, I'm going to create you, but here's what I want from you. I want you to know that, that this is all about me. And if you will, if you will do that, then, then this is going to go swimmingly. This is going to go great. We're going to have a great relationship. The world's, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you everything you'd ever want and desire. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be this utopia. Here it is in a garden. Enjoy. And then he says, there's one rule, right? One rule, one law, right? We know the story. And so the, the, the tension, any, any great story has to, has to have tension, right? It has to have like, all right, there's a crisis. There's a moment when, when like everything seems to be falling apart. Well, the, the tension in this story is when man rises up and says, you know what? It's not good enough just to be in a relationship with God. We want to be God. We want to know the things that God knows. We want to be just like God. And so we think God's hiding things from us. We think God's lying from us. We think God is deceiving us. And so we're going to go take and we're going to break his law. And in that moment, right, you can hear in in the story, in the movie making part of this, like the, the climactic moment where everything starts to fall apart is when man decides to be his own God. And so it's a part of this big story. And there's also a couple other elements with stories. There's heroes and there's twists. Obviously, God's the hero. And the twist is when God looks at the story and says, all right, I've sent man after man after man. I've sent Noah. I've sent sent Abraham. I've sent Isaac. I've sent Moses. I've sent Joshua. I've sent David. I've sent you these judges. Here are these kings. Here are these prophets. Here are all these men that I've sent. And it just hasn't really worked out because man keeps turning back to himself. And so ultimately, God looks at his son, right? He looks at Jesus and says, okay, we've got to do something about this. It's time for, for us, for you, son, to step into the story. They can't fix it themselves. They need a savior. And so the twist is that God becomes man. He takes on the form of man to step into the story to save all of humanity. And then when you step back and think about that story, that's an incredible, we've heard it so often and we've, we've, we've kind of just, we know it, right? We've, we, and, you, and you step back and you go, yeah, okay, I heard that, done, it's been there, done that, right? And we've, sometimes we can kind of become numb to it. But when, when you step back, hopefully this morning, you can think about that and go, man, there, what, what an incredible story. Like no human mind could come up with this. 
And, and so what we learn when we read Scripture, when we look at the New Testament, is that God loves to tell these incredible stories. And when Jesus came and walked on this earth, he told these stories so that we could have a glimpse, so that we could understand a little bit about what it is when Jesus talks about his Father's kingdom. Here's the deal. Parables, uh, some, some of them are, they're really, uh, just in general, they're hard to define because they're, they're more than just simple religious illustrations. They're, they're more complex than that. But they're not so complex that they, um, they're, they're riddled with, with things that you can't understand. And so it's hard to kind of explain how, what is a parable. Well, it's simple because we can understand it, but it's also complex. And when you think about how can something be simple and also complex. And so I, I want us to kind of walk through a little bit of that this morning because it's important to understand. Here's what Jesus's parables weren't. Jesus's parables, they weren't sermon illustrations because if, if they were sermon illustrations, Jesus was a terrible teacher. Because uh, if you read the New Testament, a lot of times when Jesus would tell a parable, the, the disciples would pull him to the side and go, um, yeah, you tell that story and we don't get it. <laughs> like, could you expound a little bit on that? Could you explain that a little bit more? Like, we heard it, but we just don't get it. And if you've ever, if you tell a story or tell a joke and then you have to go back and like explain your joke, well, it wasn't a good joke, Right. And so it, it was more than that. This wasn't uh, Jesus just telling great illustrations. It, it, was, it was a little bit more than that. I want you to look at this word. There's a word. Uh, the Hebrew word for parable is rooted in mashal. And so mashal means proverb. And so a mashal is, is basically an illustration of, of wisdom. It, it's this story about wisdom. And so what, what these parables really are is their wisdom stories. Look at Matthew chapter 13. This is kind of the, the core, the foundation of the series. It says this, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so what's God trying to reveal here to us. He's, he's pulling back the curtain and showing us a little bit about what God's kingdom is like, giving us a glimpse of what God's kingdom is really all about. Because it's hard for us, right? I asked this, this question last week, and I'll ask again. You've probably read, have you ever read a passage of scripture or a story and got I don't really get it. Like, God, what are you, what's, why is this in here? Why are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to show us? And so parables kind of pull back the curtains. Uh, I love this. Parables show us what your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They show us what that really looks like. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? We, we, that's a phrase we know, the, the, the Lord's Prayer. We, we understand that. We've heard that before. You've said it a lot. And so this is a, a glimpse of really what that is. Parables are intended to reveal what God's kingdom is brought to bear in creation on earth. And so once upon a time, a king came to earth to tell stories, scandalous stories that contain the mystery of eternal life. And so I want to look at one this morning. This is in Luke chapter 18. You got your Bibles. Go ahead and go there. Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. If, if you were to um, go out uh, 
It's Tuesday night, you know, it's at some gathering, a large gathering, where there's a bunch of people, you know, getting ready to watch fireworks. And if you were to just walk through the people, right? And you were just ask people, how do you get to heaven? You would get all kinds of answers, right? Well, some people would say they don't even believe in heaven. All right, well, that's an answer. But like people would say all kinds of things. Well, you probably, there, it would probably be some combination of, well, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to be a good guy and you need to do, do, do you know, your good needs to outweigh your bad. And like there, there may be all these lists and things and ideas of what, what it means and what the answer to, to what it probably uh, is to get to heaven. Good deeds outweighing the bad, uh, you know, climbing this religious ladder or working hard and earning your spot, right? All that would, would make sense to, to most people. Well, you need to do certain things to get to heaven. And that makes sense to us. And then Jesus comes along and he says, I want to tell you a story. And he, he tells this story in Luke chapter 19. It's a scandalous story that messes everything up people had ever thought about what it looked like and what it meant to be righteous and unrighteous. Here's what he says. Verse 9, it says, Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And so right off the top, you kind of get like, here's the audience that Jesus is telling this to. He's telling this to a group of people who have kind of puffed their chest out and are are self-righteous, are prideful. Are a little arrogant in who they are, right? And so Jesus says, let me, let me tell you a story. And so he tells this story. In verse 10, he says this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The, the Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters and sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Right? So here you have Jesus painting this picture of of a Pharisee. Prideful, arrogant, right? Self-seeking. And and when Jesus would have told this this part of the story, some of his listeners would be like, yep, I know that guy. I know that Pharisee, he lives right around the corner from me, right? They, they knew this was the, the caricature picture. This, this was the idea of who Pharisees were. And then Jesus continues with the story in verse 13. He says this, but the tax collector, he, he stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow and saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so you have two different guys. One story, two different attitudes, two different aspects of the same worship experience. And so when you look at this story and kind of break it down, there's, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. Let's talk about the good, quote, air quotes, good guy first. Now, the good guy that, that people in society would have assumed is the good guy is the Pharisee in this story, okay? Because if you take this story from face value, uh, it, it does appear that, that he's, a, he's, a, he's an okay guy because walk with me here for a second. He described himself as standing by himself in the temple. So it's not that you don't get this picture that he's like saying this loud, obnoxious prayer and pointing over at this other guy and like, but that he's like standing by himself praying this, but in his mind and in his heart, he has this 
condescension, right? He has this, uh, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. I'm not like that guy. And so this is what he's praying. This is what he's thinking to himself. He prays this between himself and God. He begins to thank God for, for what he has and who he is. And so those are positive things. He, he prays and thinks that he is a, a devout person, a devout man. If, you, if, we were to, uh, if this man were to live in our community today, we would all know him and think of him as a good guy. He goes to church. He loves the Lord. He, he's following all the rules. He, he's doing it all right, at least outwardly. This would be the appearance, right? This would be the thought. And so here's who this, who this Pharisee is. So what's the problem? Well, there's a certain level of, of pride, right? There, there's a certain level of pride in his heart. There's a certain level of um, where he just over five different times, he mentions the word I. I've done this and I'm doing this. And he, he says at the end, I, I, I fast twice a week and I tithe. And so he talks about, you know, going above and beyond and fasting more than, you know, more than the law requires. So I'm going above, God, what you require. And I'm doing more than is required of the law. Look at me. Look at how great I am. You guys know what a humble brag is? You know what a humble brag is? Like, you know, it's like, God, thank you for making me such an awesome person, right? It's that kind of a thing, right? Where you're like, and some of it's like, well, I don't know if that's exactly how you do that, right? Like, but like in the, in the, 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 the whatever the sincere, if there's a sincere, sincere nugget in there, the rest of it's kind of just shrouded in, you know, in arrogance. And so he, there's this humble brag that's going on here with this Pharisee. God, thank you, but thank you for making me such an awesome guy right? That, that's what he's doing here. And here's the problem. The problem is, is that he's comparing himself to this tax collector, this other guy that's got a lot of stuff going on. And, and, and he's not comparing himself to a holy God. And it's easy when you compare yourself, especially in this day, when you compare yourself to the tax collector, well, you're, you know, like, like the lady last week that was at Jesus' feet, weeping and wailing and, 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 and just brokenhearted. And the others were like, well, yeah, she should be. Look at, look at her sin. She's a sinner. Like compared to that, I'm nothing like that, right? This is kind of part two of that idea is that this Pharisee looks at the tax collector and says, well, I'm not like that guy. So I'm doing okay. I'm fine. Everything's good. And we can have, if we're honest, we, sometimes we have that tendency, don't we? To kind of look at life and go, It's good. Everything's good. I'm cool. Everything's, I'm church, life group, Bible study, mission trip, working. It, everything's good. But then Romans chapter three comes along. And I want you to look at what Paul wrote in Romans chapter three. He said this, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? He says, no, not at all. For we have already shown that all people whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. And all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. They're taught. You ready? You ready for this? Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. 
Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Paul's, I mean, he's he's laying it on, didn't he? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder, destruction, and misery always follow them. They do not know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. And then look at how he finishes it. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so what Paul does is he comes along and he says, you can keep all the rules, but it's so much more than that. What, what Jesus is after in this story is, is so much beyond the facade, the mask, the charade that the, the Pharisee is putting on. He, he, he's at the, the heart of the matter here. And so he goes on and he talks about the bad guy in this story, the the tax collector. It's easy for the Pharisee to compare himself to that guy. But when you compare yourself to a holy, just God, right? When you do that, you're going to tremble in the corner and you're not going to be able to even hold your head up and look because you're so despondent because of your, your sin and who you are. And that's where we find the tax collector. Tax collectors were the most despised people in all of, all of Jewish world. The, the, the Jews hated the tax collectors, not just because they were tax guys, right? But because these were guys who had, had, um, had flipped, that they are traitors. They're now, they now working for the Roman government. And so they were their countrymen. They were their neighbors. They were their friends. They were their family members before Roman officials come in and says, Hey, we need Jewish people to, to some, some, uh, some, some folks that are good with numbers, um, and can keep a good account and record. We need you to come with us. We'll put you to work. And here's the deal. We want you to collect taxes from your people. And so they're gonna come give you taxes. But as long as we get our portion, anything above that, you get to keep tax collector. And so the tax collector said, oh, well, this is a great deal. You mean I can charge them whatever? Yep, as long as Rome gets whatever, you, you give to Caesar what Caesar's, you smack to Rome whatever Rome needs and everything else above, like that's, that's your salary. And, and so these tax collectors became wealthy off the backs of their countrymen. And so you can imagine if you go and you think your tax bill is this and you sit down with the guy and he says, no, it's actually double that. And you're like, well, wait a second. No, it's not. How did it just double in the last five minutes? Well, because I said so. That's what a tax collector was. And so Jesus paints this story of a tax collector. And in this story, this tax collector is in the temple, which would have been scandalous in and of itself at this point in the life of a tax collector. And Jesus says that he stood at a distance. Why was he standing back? Why was he standing at a distance, not, not really willing to go on in to the temple? Well, we can kind of come up with a lot of really good reasons, right? Maybe it was because he's like, if I go in there, <laughs> that place is going to burst into flames, right? I'm not going to step foot into the temple. Uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced this before in your life. Maybe at some point you were really hesitant to walk through the doors of a church 
If I go through that place, people are going to fall out when they see me in there because they know who I really am, right? And you walk in and you sit down. If you ever, don't raise your hand or don't nod, don't nod in agreement with this. But if you ever come in here and sat down and looked over and go, I can't believe they're here today, right? <laughs> You're like, yeah, exactly. And, and I think we felt like that before. Maybe we have friends that feel like that today. You, you have family members that feel like that this morning, that they're never going to step foot in a church because if they do, they're, they're going to be condemned. They're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be judged, right? They're going to be made to feel horrible. So this tax collector has all these emotions, like he's standing off in the corner by himself, but he's brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted because he's come to a place where he recognizes his sin and he wants to be made different. But, but sin has an interesting way of kind of keeping us in the sin, right? Satan loves to take our sin and kind of keep us there and make us continue to feel that way. And, and so what Jesus is doing, and when he tells this story of this Pharisee who's self-righteous and then this tax collector who's a bad guy, who's beating his chest and who is distraught and who's weeping and, and who, who just comes to the Lord and can't say anything other than, God, will you forgive me, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And when Jesus tells a story, right, this is a, this is a, a scandalous story. People would have heard this, and like I said before, they would be like, yep, I, I identify, I know exactly who, I know the guy you're talking about when you talk about that Pharisee. And then they would have said, yep, my tax collector, he's, he's a lot like, I know what tax collectors are like. And, and he needs to be here. <laughs> he needs to come to the temple. He needs to ask for forgiveness. And so this, this story, this story would have resonated with them, but would have also stretched them. It would have also made them think in, in ways that they, maybe they weren't prepared to think. Because Jesus, at the end, he says what? He says, those who, who, who puff themselves up are going to be humbled. But those who humble themselves, he says, the Lord will, will lift them up. Right? And so in this story, it's, it's easy to kind of, and, and there's, there's, there's kind of a couple of questions here. The, the first question is, whose, whose righteousness are we kind of leaning into? Do we lean into our own righteousness or do we lean into Christ's? Because if we lean into our own, what happens? We fail. We, we cannot save ourselves, Right? In, in and of, we, we are doomed. The Bible says that we are doomed because of our sin. And so we can't save ourselves. So if we lean into our own understanding and our own righteousness and our own attitude, right? And our own spirit, like that is going to fail. And so a lot of times we try to do that. We try to lean into ourselves and, and, and kind of like pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, right? And kind of go on and everything's fine and I don't need anyone else and I'm going to do this and God, you just be there when I need you and I'll pull you out when I need you, right? And we kind of go on with life and so we lean on our own stuff. Or do we just say, God, I can't do this. I'm, I'm broken. I, my sin has devastated my life. I can't save myself. I realize that I am doomed without you. And so when you look at this story, there's, it's easy to ask a simple question. But it would be too simplistic, really. It would be like, well, are you the Pharisee or are you the tax collector? And here's what I've noticed, specifically in this story. Sometimes, right, there are some days where I feel like I'm 
the tax collector, where I'm like, man, I'm such an idiot. I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. I'm so sinful. God, would you just forgive me? I, 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 like, I, I keep forgetting how much you love me and what you've done for me. All right, you ever had days like that? You ever had weeks like that? You ever had seasons like that? You ever had years like that? Where you're like, why, why do I keep forgetting how much God loves me and what he's done for me? Why do I keep going back over and over and over to these old things that are supposed to be crucified in my life? And so you can feel like the tax collector from time to time. But there are other times where I can feel like the Pharisee. I can feel like a proud son of a gun, right? I can walk around and think, well, I got it all figured out. And you know what happens usually when you start to feel, figure, say, think that? What well, usually starts to happen, right? That's when things like, you know, things start crashing. Like when you, I've got this, I got this, right? And so Jesus tells this story and says, there's two men, two different attitudes, two different ways of living. One's a quote unquote good guy and the other was perceived as the bad guy. And in the end, he ends up saying the bad guy's the one that's going to be lifted up. Why? Because his heart was seeking forgiveness. His heart was broken because of his sins. I love this quote from David Zahn. He says this. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that hasn't stopped us from comparing distances. Right? We love to compare distances. I'm not, I'm not like that, right? I didn't do that. And the gospel comes and says, sin is sin. Sin equals death. Unrepentant sin, unforgiveness, not allowing God to, to, to change you. If you don't go through this process, it's, it's hell. It's, it's total eternal separation from God. And so here's, here's the conversation I kind of picture. All right, this isn't in the Bible. This is kind of just, this is my silly little illustration. But I picture God the Father in heaven. And, and I picture after he sent his son Jesus to earth. And, you know, Jesus would pray often to the Father. And I... And I Imagine one of those conversations going something like this. Son, how, how, are things, how are things going down there? Dad, they're bad. It's, it's really bad. What do, you, what do you mean, son? All I see, all I see is dead people. And then God whispering to his son, well, let's take care of that. And that's what he does through Jesus for us. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we, uh, we recognize who we aren't. We're not the hero of the story. But you are. God, we recognize that we are fallen, are broken, are sinful. We know that we need 
a Savior. You knew it way before we knew it. And so some days, all we can do is just simply stop and say thank you for Jesus. Even when we didn't know what we needed, you did. And you do. And even in our self-righteousness and our arrogance and our pride and and us trying to be the the center of the story and the hero in the story and us trying to, to pull all the attention away from you and onto ourselves, you're patient and you're merciful and you're gracious and you're loving. And you simply come to us and you say... Well, let me tell you a story about how much I love you and what I've done for you through my son, my one and only son. And so, God, that is, that is what we stop today to contemplate. That is what we pause to remember. That is what we ask you to do inside of us, to forgive us. God, point out to us our, our, our disgusting sin so that we can sacrifice that here today and be made new, be made right with you. You are the only one that does that. There's no other human. There's no other claim to God. There's no other religion. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. So may we carry that with us today. May we take that message with us this week to our friends and to our family members and to our co-workers and to our neighbors so that the whole world would know how much you love them. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to sing this last worship song. Before we get out of here this morning if you want to pray if you have something you want to talk about we'd love to do that uh, let's sing oh to jesus i surrender
Thank you guys for uh, for being here this morning, worshiping with us. Hey, uh, we hope you guys enjoy enjoy some time with your family and friends this week, uh, celebrating independence. But let's remember where true where true independence comes from, right? Let's get out of here and let's go love God and love people and watch Him change this world. You guys have a great week.